You are listening to audio provided by FBC Farwell. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out fbcfarwell.org. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11 is where we're going to spend our time. We're going to look at several uh, scriptures this morning, so um, I hope you you brought your Bible with you. The majority of them will be uh, on the screen, Um, and I would encourage you to even write these down. This morning is going to be a reminder for many of us, Uh, but it is a reminder that we need uh, to be anchored in our soul. This this message is is week two, if you will, of the sermon series I've entitled Anchored. Uh, no time in, in the history of my life, in the, I believe the history of all of our lives here this morning, have we needed to be anchored to a solid foundation. And the solid foundation that we need to be anchored to is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Oh, listen, we have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. We have no idea what's going to happen the next few moments, much less the next year. And as the winds blow and as the waves shift, oh, listen, we need to be a a group of believers, a body of believers who are anchored in Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Listen to what Paul is saying here. He gives us a command there in verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as of that, as that, sorry, of Christ Jesus. Now that's a, that's a tall order, isn't it? Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Then listen to the Apostle Paul's description of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who existed, this is Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he, he being Jesus, emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Now watch this contrast. Here we have have Jesus who, who has humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Now watch this contrast. Verse 9, for this reason, God highly exalted him. Jesus lowered himself. Jesus humbled himself. And when he did, God highly exalted 
him and he gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your holy word. God, I pray that you would do a work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would do what only you can do. God, you, by your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can shape us, can mold us to do what your word is called us to do, to adopt the same attitude that you had. Oh God, we need to be anchored in you. Not just today, but for the rest of our days. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. In your son's precious and holy name I pray, amen. You know, pride causes us to assume on our Savior. Pride causes us to assume on our Savior. We can, we can go through seasons of life where, where things seem to be uh, rather normal. The, uh, the waves don't seem to be rocking the boat too much. And health is good. Finances are good. And, and our political party is, uh, is in office. And things just seem to be going really, really well. And pride can cause us to assume on our Savior. On the opposite end of that, fear causes us to forget the sovereignty of our Savior. Both pride and fear cause us to lose sight of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I believe like no time ever before in our history, do we need to be anchored in Jesus Christ. To not... Go to one extreme of, of prideful arrogance that I have it all together or the other, the other extreme of being fearful that, that man, this, this world is a mess and I don't know how, what to do. I don't know how to handle it. Listen, we need to be anchored in Jesus Christ. I hope that if you were not here last week or you didn't watch online last week, I hope that you will go back and hear the message that I preached last week. Last week, I talked about uh, 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 four counterfeit saviors. And this week, I want to talk about the one true Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, we can study counterfeits, but counterfeits are always changing. But Jesus Christ never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so this morning, I want us to do that. I want us to go back and look at this one true Savior named Jesus Christ. Point number one that I want you to see is this. That Jesus is the heavenly Messiah. That word Messiah literally means the anointed one, the, the sent one. And all throughout the Old, the Old Testament, the, uh, the, the, the fathers of the faith are, are looking for the anointed one. They are believing in the sent one from heaven. The New Testament reveals that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the anointed, the sent one. Jesus came to earth at the command of his heavenly father. And the New Testament bears witness to this. It identifies Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. John tells us in John chapter 20, verse 
31. Write this down in your notes. John chapter 20, verse 31. John tells us the purpose of writing his gospel. He lays out, all that I have shared with you is for this purpose. John chapter 20, verse 31 says this. But these are written, his gospel account of Jesus Christ is written so that, here's the purpose, you and I may believe that Jesus is is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. One of Jesus' favorite titles of Himself. When Jesus speaks of Himself in Scripture, He would often say, most of the time, He would, he would call Himself the Son of Man. He left little doubt, no doubt whatsoever, actually, of where He came from, his place of origin. John chapter 3, verse 13, bears this out. This is one example. There's several, but I'm going to share one of them with you. John chapter 3, verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Here's Jesus speaking of himself, calling himself the Son of Man. Later on, he says of himself in John chapter 3, verse 31, he says, The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. And then again, he says it again, The one who comes from heaven is above all. Here's Jesus speaking of himself. He would say more explicitly, In John chapter 6, verse 38, in case anyone was confused, in case anyone really didn't get the message, here's what he says in verse 38 of John chapter 6. I have come down from heaven. Here's, listen to what he's saying. I've been been sent from heaven. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the, the will of him, catch this word, who sent me. Messiah. Anointed one, sent one. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. One more, John chapter 6, verse 57. Listen to what Jesus says. Just as the living Father sent me, there's that word again, that phrase. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Again, Jesus is just declaring that I am, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus verbally declares on multiple occasions that he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one sent from heaven. Now, Jesus often uses metaphorical language, yet he made this point crystal clear. He is the mighty God. He is the mighty God. As Isaiah uh, prophesied, I believe some 600 years before Jesus uh, was ever born, that the mighty God is going to be born. Jesus is the mighty God. I I wonder if the Apostle Paul had Isaiah's text in mind when he described Jesus as... The Apostle Paul in the CSB uses the word existing. I, I believe some of the other translations use the word being in the very form of God. 
I wonder if he has Isaiah's text in mind. Being, that, that existing, that, 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 that word being or existing stresses the, the essence of a person's nature. Is, is Paul saying that, that Jesus is the very essence of God the Father? I believe absolutely that is what Paul is saying. Oh, listen, our soul needs to be anchored in the truth. That Jesus Christ, our Savior, is the Messiah, the Holy One, anointed, sent from heaven. If you watch the news, if, you, if you're paying attention to what's going on in our culture, you, it is easy for us to allow all that is happening around us to, for, for our foundation to be shaken. We draw back on, on phrases that, that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And we can, we can allow the, the things going on in our culture to allow our, our foundation to be shaken. But listen, I want you to be reminded this morning, I want you to be anchored once again that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The Holy One sent from God. Listen, if you have placed your hope in Jesus Christ, you have not placed your hope in shifting sand. We need to be reminded of that from time to time. We need to, we need to be reminded where our foundation is at. That we are anchored deep into that foundation. Number two. Number two. Where our soul needs to be anchored. When we see Jesus, we see God. I want you to really get this point. When we see Jesus, we see God. The Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, the Apostle John tells us in John chapter 1 verse 18. Listen to what he says. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is Himself. Here's the key phrase, who is Himself God, and is at the Father's side, He has revealed Him. Now, there's a lot of theology, there's a lot of doctrine in that verse this morning that I don't have time to unpack, and it's hard for us to get our mind wrapped around this. Let me say it again, no one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, and this is where I really want us just to... to, to to pull this part of the text out of it, who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed them. Right there you see the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, being revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, a lot of theology there, a lot of doctrine there. Jesus came in the flesh to explain, to declare, and to make known who God is. Again, I want you to get this. When we see Jesus, we see God. If you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus. 
If you want to know what God says to your children, the message that God wants your children to hear, parents and grandparents, if you want to know what God wants your your neighbors and your classmates and your your family, if you want them to know what God says, oh, then, then listen to what Jesus says. If you want to know how God represents himself, how he desires to represent himself to the world, oh, then observe the life of Jesus. Here's the point. God, this question has been asked over and over and over, especially when tragedy happens. God, where are you? God, have you heard? Are you listening to my prayer? God, what do you want me to do? God, what is your will? Where is God? Listen, if you want to know how God represents himself to the world, if you want to know what God is saying to you, then look to Jesus. Because when you see Jesus, you see God. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at the very face of God. I believe the scripture that bears this out clearest way is Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. Paul calls Jesus, listen listen to this, the image. Underline that, underscore that in your Bible. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's Jesus. He is the, he, we can't see God. God, but we can see Jesus, and Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Uh, The Greek word for that word image is where we get our English word icon. It's it's like a stamp or or, or maybe a, a brand. That Jesus Christ is the stamp of God. He is the brand of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you know that God's image is stamped on your soul. Oh, listen, when we look at Jesus, we are looking the very face of God. And his image is stamped on your soul. Listen, I don't think we will ever find meaning in life I don't think you will ever find purpose in life life, until you understand that you were not merely made by God, but that you were made for God. There's a big difference there. I don't think we'll ever, let me say it again, I don't think we'll ever understand our meaning, our purpose in life. Until we understand that we're not just made by God. We're not just his creation knit together in our mother's womb, which is true. But we are made by God and we are made for God. We were made for him. And he wants you and I to represent him to this world. Listen, we are the image. We are God's image to reach our family. We're God's image to reach our neighbors. We're God's image to reach our community. We're God's image to reach a coworker. We're God's image to reach the world who is far 
from God. Oh, our soul needs to be anchored. And number one, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Number two, that when we see Jesus, we see God. How do we see Jesus? Oh, through the pages of Scripture. Jesus Christ is the very person of God. And how do we see Jesus? We see Jesus in the pages of Scripture. Then number three, our soul needs to be anchored in this truth. That Jesus is the hope of the promised Messiah. Oh, listen, a Messiah has been promised from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look at it here in just a moment. A Messiah has been promised from the very beginning of Scripture. And Jesus Christ is the hope of the promised Messiah. We live in a world who desperately needs hope. Isn't that true? We need it often. We need to be reminded that we have hope. We have a confident assurance in Jesus Christ. In our world, death reigns. Evil often triumphs. And hope often seems to be absent. Definitely absent from unbelievers. But often it's absent from even believers. Listen, since God knows our desperate condition better than we could, better than we do, we can find incredible peace and comfort in God's Word. From the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, all the way to the last word of Scripture, it is permeated with shining markers of hope. In Genesis chapter 3, Verse 15 is where it all starts. Immediately after Adam and Eve sinned, God delivers this very first promise of hope. And I, I love it. It's, it's not like Adam and Eve had to jump through several hoops to, uh, to get this hope. It's, it's immediately after they sin, God comes and he delivers this incredible message of hope. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Listen to what God is saying. He is speaking to the serpent. He is speaking to Satan. Listen to what he says. I will put, this is God speaking, I will put hostility between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Here it is. You ready? He, speaking of Jesus, Speaking of the coming Messiah, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Bible scholars often call this, this first promise of hope the first mention of the gospel. Because here, in, in a veiled form, God is prophesying that Satan's days are numbered. And that a Messiah is coming who will deliver them from, the, that will deliver his children from the grasp of Satan. Oh, listen, it's the first gospel message. Now, fast forward. From Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, to Jesus beginning his earthly ministry. The crowds who heard his words, 
the crowds who observed his behavior, those who were in awe of his miracles, of the, of the way that he would speak with the authority, began to wonder, is Jesus, is this Jesus the Messiah? Is this the one that our, that our forefathers were telling us about, that a Messiah has come? Is this the one? Some said yes. Some said no. Many chose just not to even commit themselves one way or another. In the Gospel of John, there's several scriptures that we could look at here. And I'm just going to, let me just say, the Gospel of John gives multiple snapshots of the thoughts of the early believers. Those that believed he was, those that believed that he wasn't, and then those that really just wouldn't commit one way or another. Now, fast forward just a little bit to Jesus' arrest, his crucifixion on the cross, being buried in a borrowed tomb, rising from the dead just three days later. The apostles and their associates began to look back at all of the prophecies, starting in, G- in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, looking back at all of the ancient prophecies, and they began to prove through the Scriptures that the Messiah had come in the person of Jesus Christ. And they began to proclaim, yes, this Jesus who we were following, who was crucified and who was buried and who rose three days later, he is the hope of the Messiah. This is the one that we have been believing in that is going to come and he is here. Jesus is the hope of the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one from heaven. Luke tells us in his first account, Luke chapter 18, verse 28, that a man named Apollos, who Luke identifies as one who is competent in the use of scriptures. Luke tells us in Luke chapter, or I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 18, verse 28, he says this, that, that Apollos vigorously refuted the Jews in public, I'm sorry, vigorously refuted the Jews and publicly demonstrated through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, Apollos is saying he is taking all of the Old Testament uh, scriptures and he is proving that Jesus Christ is the hope of the Messiah. Peter takes it even further. And he says to the crowd, Because Jesus is the Messiah, and he has promised to return. Listen to what Peter says. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that we've been placing our hope in. He has come, and he has promised to return. Therefore, repent. And turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. That seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of restoration. That is the season. That's the period that we are in right now. That heaven is receiving him until the time of restoration. Which is a time that could come at any moment. It's a time of restoration of all things, 
which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Listen to what he's saying. The holy prophets spoke of a Messiah, and he had come. Jesus Christ is the hope of the Messiah. The prophets also spoke of a second coming, and we must be ready. Therefore, repent and be ready for his coming. Peter's hope. Peter's confident assurance that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is coming back. Oh, listen, should remain our hope to this very day. It should be our joy to this very day that, that man, this, this world that we live in today is not our final destination. Oh, isn't that great news? That there is more to life than waking up and, and going through the routine of, of getting ready and, and, and going to work and going through the routine of working and then, and then coming home and, 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 and eating dinner and, and, and vegging out in front of the TV and then, and then going to bed at night and, and then just repeating the process. That there is more to life than that. Oh, listen, we have a Savior. His name is Jesus. He is the hope of the Messiah who has promised to come and has promised to return. Therefore, we must be ready and our hearts must be anchored in this truth. Number one, that Jesus is the heavenly Messiah. Number two, that when we see Jesus, we see the very, first, the very face of God. Number three, that Jesus is the hope the confident assurance of the promised Messiah who is going to return. And then number four, and let me close with this. The grace, the grace of Jesus, the Messiah. Oh, may we not miss this. In our key text this morning, Philippians chapter 2, turn back there with me. Verse 5 we find the classic passage on Jesus the Messiah. In these powerful verses describing who Jesus is, we see what should be unforgettable language. The Apostle Paul lays out for us the staggering links that Jesus went through to be our Messiah. He lays it out for us just in order. Uh, the theologians refer to this text as the self-emptying of our Lord in the Incarnation. Look again with me. Uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Again, we start with the command to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited? You see the grace there? Follow along, verse 7. Instead, Jesus emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. That's grace. Taking on the likeness of humanity. That's grace. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Oh, what extravagant grace. Jesus 
pours out on us. Jesus empties himself of many of his divine rights and privileges in order to serve and minister to others here on earth as the Messiah. Paul tells us in this text that even though Jesus was God, he chose a moment, 33 years, a season, to empty himself of his ability to be equal with God. Not for his own advantage, but for our advantage. That's incredible grace. Jesus didn't clench his hand around his own divine rights. He, he emptied himself of his divine rights. He gave them up for you and I. He willingly gave these up for a season. Now let me be really clear here. I don't want you to misunderstand. Jesus didn't empty himself of his deity. He kept his deity. He didn't exchange his deity for humanity. He emptied himself of many of his outward, invisible manifestations of the Godhead. Let me give you a few examples. First, he made himself nothing by leaving the very throne room of heaven. Jesus, or God, clothed himself in flesh where he, he leaves heaven where for ages and ages and ages, angels, multitudes of angels are crying out to him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he chose, willingly chose to leave that, to clothe himself in the flesh. He takes up residence in a virgin's womb. He was born into a world, knowingly, born into a world that would hate him, that would despise him, that would ultimately kill him. You see the grace there? For you and I. Listen, Jesus knew what it was like to go viral one moment and then to be hated the next moment. Crowds surrounded him on one day. And the next day, he is by himself. Jesus grew tired, just like us. Yet he remained fully God. Jesus grew hungry, just like us. Yet he remained fully God. He grew thirsty, just like us. Yet he remained holy God. Listen, oh, what a glorious, amazing Savior. He made himself nothing. Second is this, he, he willingly submitted himself to the sovereign will of his Father. He, he chose not to do his own will, but to do the will of God the Father. Third, Jesus at times divested himself of important information. When, when the apostles asked him, when are you going to return? He said, that's not for me to know. That's for my father to know. That's what he tells us in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. He divide, divests himself of certain information. Fourth, Jesus sacrificed for a season, for a time, his eternal riches. In heaven, 
all that heaven holds. Jesus divests himself. Though he was rich, he became poor so that you and I could become rich and spend eternity with him in heaven. Oh, do you see the grace? Do you see the grace? Fifth and last, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us that Jesus Christ is the only human who had never sinned. He's the only one who had never sinned. Yet Jesus took our place on the cross, placing on himself the penalty for my sins, the penalty for your sins. At that moment of this terrible exchange, the father turned his face from his son because the sins of the world are now on his father. Jesus, who had never sinned, took our place and for a moment was separated from God in heaven. He experienced this momentarily abandonment and despair. He experienced God's wrath for you and I. Oh, do you see the grace? Listen, I don't think we'll ever be able to fully grasp how much Jesus gave up when he took on human flesh. Oh, we can... And we should. We can read about it in Scripture. We can be in awe of what Jesus gave up so that you and I can have eternity with Him in heaven. Jesus, while He was on the cross, was fully God. But at the same time, he was fully man. And he chose to go there for you and I. I want you to hear this statement. God took the deficit of my spiritual account and he transferred it to Jesus' account when Jesus was on the cross. And then... He took the assets of Christ's account and he put them in my account. Do you, do you see what's happening here? God took the deficit in my spiritual account, in your spiritual account, and he transferred it to Jesus. And then he took the assets in Christ's account and he put them in your account. account. From, G, from me, Jesus only got sin and he received the wrath of God. But from Jesus... Children of God, we receive the blessings of God because of what Jesus did on the cross. But even before what Jesus did on the cross, by what Jesus did when he left the glory and the splendor of heaven and emptied himself so that he could take on the sins of the world so that you and I could have the riches of heaven. Oh, do you see the grace? Do you realize that no one, and I've heard this many times, no one has given up anything to follow Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? We, we haven't, Jesus has given up everything so that we can follow him. We haven't given up anything. What we have done is we have gained everything when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ. Oh, may we be anchored in Jesus Christ. May we be reminded this morning of the glory and the splendor of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And may we choose.
with all that we have to live for him, to recognize that we are not just made by him, but we are made for him. Amen. Thank you for joining us for worship at FBC Farwell. If you made a decision for Christ, please let us know by contacting Pastor Russ at russ at fbcfarwell.org. We would love to connect with you and walk alongside you in your faith journey. We have some great resources to send you that will help you grow in your faith. As we close, I want to say thank you for listening today. If God leads you to give to the ministry of FBC Farwell, you can text FBC Farwell to the number 77977. Thank you for your generosity.